fall, moon fall. The moon's gonna fall, 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 fall. And rolling Emmerich and no one at Lionsgate's gonna make any money. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts and one of five people in society that have seen Moonfall, uh, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host, as always, the Moonfallist. You know, I thought the uh, technical difficulty saved me from having to hear that Moonfall intro again. But I am the Moonfallist, Chad Metz. And it looks like it will be the last weekend you will ever hear anything ever mm-hmm. about Moonfall. Because he successfully made $10 million this weekend on a $140 million budget. <laughs> and somehow I think that $10 million is a fabricated number that they gave out to, to save themselves from the embarrassment of this thing making like $5 million on opening weekend. That is quite wretched. Uh, so I haven't looked at the numbers, but I do recall saying that Jackass would make more money than Moonfall. I have no idea how much Jack has made, but I feel like I'm pretty, see, I'm safe. I'm safe. I told y'all, listen to me. 23.8 to 10. I, I'm with you. I'm surprised it made that much. Uh, that is that close to jackass. Uh, it smells of uh, chicanery and shenanigans. The opening night numbers were in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, Chad. They weren't even in the millions. How yeah, does that well, happen for a modern blockbuster, especially one that's like super advertised everywhere you look? It's not like it was a hidden away movie. Well, first thing, um, they're going to blame it on the pandemic. One. Uh, two, people should not let them get away with blaming it on the pandemic. We we all understand that the, the, the pandemic is suppressing um theater theater turnout but this was expected beyond that this was always going to be a flop this had flop written all over it now that it's going to be a super spectacular flop i mean the pandemic is like putting the extra oomph on that but this is where we're always going to end up but chad they greenlit this during a pandemic and agreed to spend $140 million during a pandemic on lines of dialogue that remind you of something that was written on the Sci-Fi channel. <laughs> that is right. I forgot we looked this up last week. And yes, this is all a pandemic movie. So there's no excuse. There, this was destined to be this way. You put this much money in this movie from this guy in the pandemic, you get everything you deserve which is apparently nothing i was shocked to see when i entered the theater the only person i had seen in the marketing materials was patrick wilson i was shocked to learn that halle berry lent her talents and her boobs to this movie and this movie lacks in halle berry boobness and maybe that could have saved it maybe that was the moon i needed to see fall instead of the actual moon well i knew she was in it but there, there was a point when this is coming all out again. You know, you would send me this stuff, and I would avoid it like the plague. But there was, there were points when I was forced to see stuff, and I would always forget that she was in it up until like the last two weeks. And I think I saw her more in the brief commercials I saw, and I'm like, oh yeah, Halle Berry's in this movie. And it's really only been the last two weeks. I don't know why they haven't really emphasize that Halle Berry's in this movie. I don't know why she doesn't have top billing. I know who Patrick Wilson is. You know who Patrick Wilson is. People that have seen Aquaman sit can be like, that guy was an Aquaman, but they cannot tell you his name. So I don't know why he gets top billing over Halle Berry. She's the biggest thing in this movie. And they didn't decide to put her front and center for the promotion. At least you put her front and center for the promotion. See if you get somebody to come and see it because of her. But um, in a list of things that is that is sure to be written about why this movie had the reception it did, that is reason like no, one reason like number six. Um, yeah, I also like Josh Gad is also in this movie. Um, you know, is he? 
Yes, he is. So, so Chad, if I recall, I sent you an article because apparently the only site that they did any kind of publicity work with was Collider. Because apparently Collider is the only people running these interviews. Collider had a piece up uh, from Mr. Earl Amarant talking about sequels and sequel ideas for Moonfall. Moonfall 2 and Moonfall 3. Do you believe, sir, that this man will get his opportunity to make Moonfall 2 and Moonfall 3? Do I really need to dignify that with an answer? I, I, I think we know the answer to that. The question is, is anybody going to give him money, period, from this point forward? I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, now, is it going to be a major studio? Is it going to be, an, you know, one of the, the middle tier studios? Or I don't even know, is he going to get streaming or worse yet, sci-fi money? Like, I think those are his four four categories. If it were me, I give him sci-fi money and that's about it. But I'm really curious to see where he goes from here. I mean, dude can probably go to the indie scene and get money to do things like Stonewall if he wants to, but those aren't gonna those aren't gonna be paycheck movies, if you know what I mean. Like they're not gonna be huge paychecks that are gonna like ride him out the way that that's that uh you know the big disaster movies tend to be. Moonfall, which cost 150 million, blasted off with just seven hundred thousand dollars in previews on thursday night 150 million and seven hundred thousand seven hundred thousand jackass forever scored 9.6 million oh i'm sorry 1.6 million from previews so they finished with almost a million dollars more in preview sales than moonfall did and moonfall had vastly more marketing which one had more theaters? Ooh, good question. This would be where our good friends Box Office Mojo would come into play. Oh, oh, yeah. Because, hey, well. you know, thank, thank, you, uh, uh, thank you, IMDb Pro, for buying up the most useful box office reference site. Again, this is, yeah, this is like your monthly reminder that uh, Box Office Mojo sucks now, and it didn't have to be this way. Right. So actually Moonfall had 200 less theaters. It was 3,604 3, theaters for Jackass, uh, 3,446 theaters for Moonfall. Okay. Okay. I'm not surprised by that either, but either way, it's still an embarrassment. Yeah, I don't think that they, Lionsgate claims. $10.005 million. Um, so that just kind of seems like some tech nerd dropped a random five in there to make it push it over the top. The actual uh, Samara should be real fun. Yeah, um, very rarely do you see studios revised downward, but that might be the case on, on Monday. Meanwhile, another box office news, Spider-Man No Way Home collected another $9.6 million. In other words, a movie that has been out for eight weeks almost beat Moonfall. Well, it's it's the only thing generating money right now. Just for giggles, I looked I looked at the uh, showtimes for the local theater here this coming week, and I think they've added screens of Spider Man in the past two weeks because I know I've looked I looked a few weeks prior and there were only like you know, five showings a day. And now it's back up to like 20 in one theater. So they know that's what, you know, that's the only thing moving the needle right now, money-wise. So theaters are trying to get it while they can. So it, uh, it, it, only, it only suffered a 12% drop from last week. And it only, and it's lost 75 theaters. Um, and it ended up at, uh, it ended up at uh, $9.6 million for a grand domestic total of $748.9 million. It's a monster. The monster keeps going. And it's going to, I imagine it's going to keep rolling until um, next month when Batman rolls out. 
I mean, that seems to be the only the only late one, the only one left, right? Between here and April, I think so. I think that's the the next big thing. So yeah, that's uh, that's where we stand. Um, would you like to know about our good friend um, Simon Kinberg's the three five five? I forgot. I almost forgot that was a thing. The only reason I didn't is because I was scrolling through, and it's on one of the uh, the pay per view channels. But yeah, sure, why not? Let's see. I can laugh some more at him. So it it made seven hundred grand this weekend in one thousand seven hundred and ten theaters for a per theater average of four hundred nine dollars. It's uh, the total domestic gross now stands at fourteen point one million. Boy, 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 that's that's something for you. And it's been out for five weeks, Chad. Well, uh, man, I I don't have the words for, for that guy. I mean, I know almost anything is not making money in the theaters, but with the premise and the people involved, you think it at least do something, but it's just dead. Yeah, and it's it's just it's a weird time. And I had this conversation with the exhibitor exhibitor relations folks about, you know, Tuesday when Oscar nominations come around, would Disney give West Side Story a second theatrical run to kind of push them and to get the, get the awareness back out there? Because, you know, for better or worse, once you rack up what I assume will probably be six to eight uh, Oscar nominations on, on Tuesday, that gets some headlines and that reminds people that you were a thing. Because apparently right now, no one remembers that a West Side Story was a, a restaging or a, a remake of West Side Story was a thing, you know, and it came out in, in December. So if they do a second run, maybe that can help get some eyeballs on it. I don't know. But the fact that things like Nightmare Alley and West Side Story and Last Duel are dying on the vine in this particular climate is just weird because like they they have like the window is so truncated now to make your mark mm-hmm. like you can't you you have to make your mark with your audience and you have to stay and the only way in this current climate you're going to make any money is by staying and doing what Spider-Man is doing what they hope the Batman does and that is run for a long time and just collect money along the way but what spider-man did was collect a whole bunch of money right away and then keep adding more money to it something like uh the 355 uh, not 355 something like west side story or um coda or drive my car or make uh um or uh west side story or um dune like these movies like they only have a small window of time to make their mark make money and become popular and be the conversation piece, you know? And if you don't get people talking, it dies on the vine. And I think it's kind of because as we talked about last, last week, we're sort of in this climate now where you have to, people have to have a reason. People have to have a want to go to the movies. There will always be people like me and you who would gladly spend entire days in theaters and just will go every Thursday night regardless of what new is coming out, because we want to go to the movies. There will always be cinephiles like us around. The problem is we're not the majority. The majority are the people who turned out in the first two weeks of Spider-Man No Way Home that it hadn't gone to a movie probably since before Wonder Woman in December, Christmas of 2020. And, you know, doesn't really get out to the theater much, but decided to go for that one movie because everybody was talking about it and how it was a, a must-see and they couldn't just wait for it to be on DVD or VHS or home uh, home viewing. And like, that's the difference now is the target demographics for movies like West Side Story and Last Duel are staying home. And they the marquee in the name on the marquee that says um, that says Steven Spielberg or says you know uh, Sir Ridley Scott isn't enough to drive those folks to the movies any, anymore. There's smaller films even than that. There are smaller film, international films like Drive My Car, which may never get out of New York and LA, period. 
is just such a small window, man. <laughs> it's a small window to make time and to make your make your mark because if you don't, you're gonna end up like in the heights where a bunch of people love you, but no one sees you until they stumble across you at three in the morning on HBO Max. You know, the thing that stood out the most of what you said, and this is going to pertain almost exclusively to Batman, is how they're making money now. How the whole extended stay. You have to make money over a lot of weeks, which is not what we're used to. We're we're used to most movies making money, you know, really fast and then kind of fading out within like a month. Yeah, the 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 idea for a while now has been a, a film makes the majority of its money in its first two weeks. Yes, its first its first fourteen days. That's why most most the theatrical distribution companies have settled on a forty five day window, uh, as opposed to the old 70, 75 or eighty five days, because they feel like that forty five days is a cutoff for how when they're going to make the most money. Right, but now we're we're seeing. Excluding Spider-Man, the other movies that have made money have gone, they've made it really quick, but they kind of stayed a little bit longer. Batman is going to have pretty much March to itself. I think it should be fine financially, but what's I don't know what the upper end of it looks like because April comes around and while there's nothing, there's not another comic book movie coming in April. There are other movies that will generate buzz, will make some money, will cut in, in theory, will cut into the Batman. It really depends on if the Batman's audience really turns out to be more adult or more teens to kids in there uh, with the movies coming in April. But again, we talked about it last week. What is Warner Brothers going to expect the Batman to do? And are they adjusting for this new reality of having to go longer and knowing that they have they have a certain window? They, unlike Spider-Man that just can go until for three months, they have a pretty much a month, maybe like six weeks if they're lucky, to, to do all their damage. Are they factoring that in? Are they, and being realistic? Yeah, and... That's that's the the cultural key for me because there's also like there's also things that can hinder that right we still haven't like uh, screenings for press probably won't happen for another week or two you don't have the word of mouth yet from early social media reactions um, you don't have early reviews of what what this Batman by Pattinson is like um, th- those can all either help or or hurt I mean your word of mouth for No Way Home was basically like, I remember when the first social media reactions hit in 2012 for uh, Avengers. And the common theme through all those early reactions were, holy crap, they did it. They pulled it off. And because that was a question guys like me and you had had, even as late as the, the, the team-up trailer that showed the 360 shot. Like, we were also, is, is this going to work? How can they pull this off? And so the entirety of that uh, social media reaction was, they did it, they pulled it off. Um, that can also kill your forward momentum the same way like Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending died on the vine from a bunch of folks just saying how terrible Eddie Redmayne was, screaming his head off for no reason. And yet, and yet, sir, he won an Oscar with that hanging out there, whereas Eddie Murphy did Norbert and killed any chance he had allegedly. But I, I don't know. It's for me. It's it's how do you deal with those kinds of, of things? How do you how do you overcome bad word of mouth if that's what happens, or if you have good word of mouth? Like how does that factor in in helping you in this climate? We don't we don't know because again, my concern is that they're going to do smaller numbers than No Way Home did for opening night and opening weekend. And I'm worried that the, that the react, ever reactionary forces that abide within Warner Brothers are going to overly react to. I don't think it will strain, no matter what happens to the Batman, I don't think it will strain their working relationship with Matt Reeves um, because it didn't strain their working relationship with Ben Affleck. But man, if, if, if 
if it tracks with lower, ends up with lower Thursday night previews and lower first day, first weekend grosses, uh, which it's bound pretty much bound, guaranteed to have lower first weekend grosses because I can't see this movie making 200 million plus opening weekend. So what what kind of impact does that have on on the industry and on people? Because it's not just the studio, man. It's like, how is the industry going to react if a big tentpole movie like the, like the Batman doesn't do huge numbers? I mean, we've already got theaters now saying that they're, their marketplaces are, are, are being narrowed out because you either have No Way Home or Scream. That's it. Those are your options to go see at the movies. And that the lack of product is is hampering them. So, Well, so I think the industry is looking forward to the Batman because the industry needs, it needs to generate revenue. It needs to, you know, feel, be sustained some kind of way. Particularly the theaters. They are looking forward to the Batman. Whatever the Batman does is going to be good for business for them. Now, to me, it's all about Warner Brothers and their expectations. We talked about it last week, but that's really what it comes down to. I mean, they are so all over the map with everything. Uh, Just like historically, okay, so historically before the MCU became the MCU, Typically, if you have like a series, it doesn't have to be a straight franchise, but like like the Batman, you have a Batman series which had uh, you know 89 to Batman and Robin. The the success of the current movie kind of depends upon the reception of the previous movie. So Batman and Robin, you know, people thought it sucked. So when Batman Begins came out, critically it was it did fine. Um, monetarily, it only made um, $372-ish worldwide. In any other world today, that would be a travesty. But they understand, I don't know what their expectations was for that movie. We know they went on to make the sequels, made a lot of money, and they were all happy. The last Batman movie we've had uh before this one if you want to count justice league okay people hated that and it didn't do well at the box office if you want to count batman versus superman it made a lot of money but not what it should have made and people hated it factoring all that in just off that old way you would i would take the under on whatever you're expecting so warner brothers has delusions of grandeur if they thought it was making anywhere close to a billion, I would already cut that down to like seven just to be just to be safe. Now, it kind of changed with um, after Marvel because once people really understood that Marvel was like one continuous kind of series, they kind of did away with it. But again, DC doesn't have that. They don't have a shared universe kind of thing. So that doesn't help prop them up. So I don't know what they should be expecting for the first one based upon the old track record. I would just take the under. I would expect this thing to top out at seven. And if it goes above that, it is a win for everybody. If it doesn't, you can, you know, blame the pandemic. As as long as people like it, you can blame the pandemic for being suppressed. And go about your business and make another one. The key to me is DC not overestimating and people actually liking the movie. I'm trusting Matt Reeves for them to like the movie. The rest is on the studio and they are, they go whichever way the wind blows and that's never a good thing. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting to me that we're in this place and that uh, everything's just going to hinge on on how how it does, and I think that is it'll be good to get fresh superhero blood into the cinema. Some of that literally, <laughs> um, because this Batman will there will be blood with this Batman. I just I don't know. There are so many uneasy questions about this this version of Batman, Reeves's version of Batman, the interpretation, the take. Um, I just it's a lot of 
a lot of unknowns really yeah and and those are things you never really want in a uh, in a announce in a uh, sequel which is unknowns especially not in this climate no and and it's like a character that's well known but it's the, like again like i said last week we had time with tom holland spider-man we knew he had ability ability to build up goodwill and they went ahead and they gave away the uh, the former villains in the trailer so there was a reason a nostalgia reason to draw those guys there for those fans there 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 isn't that with the batman i mean what we've got some wild speculation there may be a version of the joker in this movie that's about all of the craziness that we're gonna get i mean i, I just I, I don't know it's, it's interesting i believe and have believed since 2017 that matt reeves can do a hell of a batman movie and i believe that he will do the best procedural detective uh, batman movie that we've seen ever and that goes all the way back to the adam west version in the 1960s um like i believe that we're gonna that the little bit we saw in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises is going to be taken even further. Riddler is going to be given an amazing work to do. And I think Paul Dano is going to kill that role. I, I just, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to me because to me, making, making $500 million domestic is a huge accomplishment. And then if they end up making $500 million domestic and they turn around, they look at Sony doing $800 million with Spider-Man, uh, that they're just gonna like you know wag the dog they they can't <laughs> you can't do this you can't measure against your neighbor you're not going to win that battle know who you are and go with that you can't out christmas clark griswold well i mean in that context it means you might be able to because clark doesn't do christmas all that well but Clark Clark lights up his house to where a nuclear reactor has to be implored in order to give the city light again because he is his house is drawing so much electricity. You can't out Christmas that dude. The man the the man is the movie. His house is basically ruined. He's had a police raid, almost been shot, fired, and and his living room is blown up a few times. Uh, I think you can out Christmas Clark. Well, I mean, if anything, Cousin Eddie needs to evaluate his priorities by randomly walking around with a dog, driving around with a dog chain in a bow. I mean, that would mean he'd have to recognize priorities first. Shitter was full, Chad. Shitter was full. <laughs> so, um, so let's move on. Um, let's talk about what is going to be the talk of the nerd world come midweek, the Book of Boba Fett. Or as we should now all call it, The Mandalorian Season 3. Chad, Chad, I went to a Boba Fett concert and The Mandalorian started playing. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about this since. I don't think we've talked about it all uh, last week. Because, because there's no Boba Fett. There's no Bubba Fett story. There's no Bubba Fett interest. The man just walks around without his helmet and he doesn't really say very much. And he hires the cyberpunk Power Rangers and lets the big ass Wookiee walk to the bar, then realizes, hey, he might be useful as an enforcer and brings big Wookiee back. And he and, and Phoenix Shand is just looking at him because he's like, let's go back to the Sarlacc pit. Because even though I was wearing my armor when I got out of the Sarlacc pit, it's the only way I could survive the Sarlacc pit. Let me go back into the belly of the beast and look for it because that seems like an awesome idea. All I've seen is like the image of him, of Daddy flying away in his Mos Espa, uh, you know, away in, on the water planet, um, crying his little eyes out because Daddy was abandoning him. I've seen him hold Daddy's head way more than I really should. Like, there's no interest in the Bubba Fett. The Bubba Fett is he can't even beat kitchen droids. He is he is. He has no balls, man. He's trying to win a fight with five people. Five people. Like, come on now. I'm okay. I don't feel quite the same. I I do find it weird that basically, yes, they took Boba Fett in Boba Fett series. They basically took two of those episodes, two of the seven, and made it the um the introduction 
to Mandalorian season three. I will grant anybody that. I, I the when they did it the first time with uh, episode five when the return of the Mandalorian, I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. We have Mando. People want to see Mando. People want to see the kid. I get it. When the second one happened, I was like, okay, people are going to have a lot of things to say. And I don't really know how I feel about it. I still kind of don't because I know. And part of the thing is that those two episodes have widely been seen as the best two episodes of the whole series. Yeah, because there were no BAFTA tanks. There were no sand people. There was no, like, there was no depressed rancor that we're going to eventually ride for no reason. Yeah, so that further submits the idea that this is Mandalorian season three, and it it keeps deepening the the turn of of people on Boba Fett who they've wanted to see do stuff forever, and then he turned in, I mean, in this show, he basically turned into like a pacifist of sorts, and he's all about honor and all of that kind, all of that jazz. And they, I mean, they explain it. He spent all that time with the Tuscans. He adopted their lifestyle. Uh, they're, they're cold and everything. They explain why he's like that, but that's not what people want to see from Boba Fett. They want to see him go out and be uh, the badass they always imagined. And he hasn't done that yet. All of this could turn around in this last episode, which, as you pointed out, he's going to war with only five people. To me, that means he, there should be some sort of badassery from Boba Fett, and maybe it'll turn people around. I, th- I think if they see if people see Boba Fett doing things, they will feel better about the show as a whole. I, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like there's a whole lot to do in the final episode. However, I also remember saying that about like four of the five Marvel uh, shows that we've gotten before now, like, I don't know how they're doing all this in one episode, and damn it if they don't do it. So I have full faith that they're going to finish what they, whatever they feel like starting. It's just, will it, will it satisfy people enough to not think of Boba Fett as a, as Boba Fett himself as a failure in the show, and the show a failure outside of the Mandalorian episodes. We'll, we'll have to see on Thursday. I'm willing to give it a chance. I don't hate as much stuff as everybody else. I don't hate the biker kids. I know people really don't like them. I I get it. And when you put it in context of George Lucas, that's the kind of crap he likes. He might not have made them so bright, but that's like, he likes the aesthetic of, uh, you know, if you've seen American Graffiti, this is like the Star Wars equivalent of that. I got no problems with it, but I know lots of people hate them suckers. I don't get it. So, like, here's here's my thing, okay? The townspeople of Freetown are now going to get involved, so that'll be more bodies. Okay? So that'll at least be more bodies. We have a very opaque idea of who or what the Pikes are. We kind of have an idea. Um, the pike, like, so we don't really know what the threat to the pikes are, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, we just know that they're a bunch of bodies. So if you meet a bunch of bodies with a bunch of bodies, then maybe you've got a better shot. Uh, the introduction of Old Boy from Clone Wars, who has a history with Django Fett, who has a slight history of Boba Fett, definitely has a history with, uh, with Fennec, uh, Fennec Sand. Um, uh, Cad, Cad Bane. Cad Bane. They are going to, uh, they're they're going to um, end up tasseling because that's what happened. Again, you have to kind of come at this from the vantage point. And this is what I told somebody else. All the Mandalorian and Book of Fett and, and all this, this Star Wars stuff is doing is a way for Filoni to bring all of his stuff that he did in animation to live action. Whether it's Ahsoka whether it's uh, uh, what's Katie Surkoff's character. Dang it. Uh, Bo-Katan. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Ahsoka, whether it's Bo-Katan, whether it's, it's uh, you know, the idea of the Clone Wars themselves, whether it's references to, to Rebels, 
uh, Moff Gideon, um, the whole like it, the Cad Bane, like it's it's all about bringing stuff in that he made off in his his little corner in his time before the Disney merger and after the Disney merger when he was chief of animation. Um, and so if you take that and you insert it into the live action, that's what he's doing. So I suspect that a lot of the things, the Dark Saber, for example, that were important in Rebels and Clone Wars are going to be brought forward and continue to play big parts in the Mandalorian stories. Um, I think what we're going to get is Cad Bane versus Finnick. I think we're going to get, you know, the townspeople uh, taking on the, the Pikes. And I think that we're going to get one more big cameo from an old guy who right now, the last I checked, is uh, currently riding around London with a bullwhip and a fedora. I don't think there's a chance in hell you get that dude. Bet you five grand right now. About half five grand. I that, will take that bet. That, that is happening. And the reason that I think it's going to happen is I think that they're going to finally do something that I was hoping they would do for a very long time, which is acknowledge that Solo exists. Kara. Which one's Kara? What was the big reveal at the end of the movie of Solo? That she was actually in league with, with uh, Paul Bettany's character. And that once Paul Bettany's character dies, she is the one who contacts Darth Maul. And they go off and they, and they talk about dirty bad things, as in like plots to destroy the world, not naughty things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kara is the one running the pikes through, through uh, Tatooine. And I think okay. it's her, her criminal enterprise. And I think Han finds out about it. And I think Han, off on an adventure, uh, wants to settle up with old girl. Because I think she, he was supposed to settle up with her through three movies, two, through two more movies, but that didn't happen. So I think that there, this is a way to solve your nostalgia issue with uh, with Harrison Ford doing the the Mark Fisher, the Mark Hamill thing, and I think that it's a way for Kara to get back involved in Star Wars, which I wouldn't I wouldn't mind Amelia Clark getting back into the Star Wars. Okay, so. I see her, and what you when you lay it out that way, that makes sense. It's just Harrison Ford was very, very adamant about certain things. His hate for Han Solo being one, and I, the fact that he was in um, Rise of Skywalker, is still kind of amazing to me, even though he's only there for like a second. And they could do the de aging thing. They're already already doing it with one guy, so they could do it with a second. Well, I th- I think you have to do the de aging because he would he wouldn't be anywhere near as old he is, as he is right now. He I just don't see him wanting to take any part in it. Now, if what now they could bring back uh, what's his name from from actual solo? Uh, Alden Ironwright, I think that's his name. You can bring him back. Yeah. yeah, you can bring him back and do it. Uh, that's a slippery slope because a lot of fans, you know, have issues with somebody else being Harrison Ford around the same well, that, that age doesn't, as Harrison that, Ford. That doesn't work. Why that not? doesn't work because because his version of, of Solo takes place 20 years before a new, uh, five years before a new hope, five to 10 years before a new hope. So yeah, but- he would you would have to age him up to make him a post-Jedi, post-Return of the Jedi Han Solo. I mean, that's that's that would be easier than de-aging Harrison Ford to freaking 35 when he's pushing 90. I know I'm being a little facetious on his age, but close enough. Uh, at this By the way, point, how, how are all those folks going to feel about female Indiana Jones? How's, the, how's that going to go over, do you think? Oh, how it goes over with, with everything. They're going to be all hurt about it, and then, uh, well, I don't know because well, well, all five really... people who go, all five people who go to see the movie will be hurt. But you know, it's Indiana Jones. People will go see it. It's 
I mean, I don't want to see it, but I know I'm going to end up seeing it. It's not like Alden Aaron Rice doing anything right now. Send him back. Send him back. Put a little grayness, dust up his hair a little bit, and call it a day. The other thing that you could potentially do is Grogu is clearly going to make his choice to go with with, uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah. And they could all be on the edge of the cliff, basically. Figuratively speaking, be on the edge of a cliff, losing the battle. And then all of a sudden, just like in the end of season two of The Mandalorian, an X-Wing pulls up. And, uh, you know, Luke's old line about taking on an army with just him and his laser sword um, might happen again. And this time, people might get what they wanted to get. And Last Jedi and did get in uh, the end of Mandalorian season two and Luke chopping through a whole bunch of folks, handing off a child and leaving. I guess they could do that. I don't, I think they should stay away from having Luke do anything beyond what he did. Like you gave people the fan service last year of Luke coming through to save everybody at the end. I don't think you need to touch on that again. The way the end of that last episode with Grogu making his choice, they can either him making that choice and Mando going to get him can be the opening of season three, or or he can get or Grogu can join them on Tatooine now. And if that's the case, yeah, I do think then I think we'll have Luke being involved. So I'm hoping that this was more of a setup for. Mando season three, but if they're putting it in this season, then yeah, I guess Luke is going to play a part in all of this madness. Which it doesn't really seem like he like uh, they're they're overly like cautious with using that CGI because they just did it for three fourths of an episode. So I think you could get away with it more on the action scenes, you know, with the quick cuts and. And that if he's going to be doing the action, just put the cloak back on him and hide his face for most of it. It'll be interesting to see. So let's let's change gears, Chad, because the uh, the Oscar nominations are coming out. And they will be due out on Tuesday. So I wanted to. I know we touched on this a little bit last last week, but I wanted to touch on it some more this week. Um, I want to roll off the nominees for. The, three of the guilds, the, the Screen Actors Guild, the, the Screen Actors Guild, the Screenwriters Guild, and the Directors Guild. Um, the only other one that you could possibly add would be the Producers Guild, which I'll also pull up. Um, but I think we, I wanted to run through these because generally there's a consensus among the guilds. And while they haven't really started handing out awards yet, the nominations themselves will give us good, a good feel as to what the Academy might do so the outstanding directorial achievement in theatrical film that would be uh, pta for licorice pizza kenneth burra for belfast jane campion for power of dog on netflix west side story steven spielberg dance bienville for dune that would be the dga's best directors list the Screen Actors Guild, the, the Screenwriters Guild, the screenplay nom- nominations for Best Original Screenplay, uh, being the Ricardos written by Aaron Sorkin for Amazon Studios, Don't Look Up, screenplay by Adam McKay, story by Adam McKay and David Sorda, um, produced for Netflix. The French Dispatch of Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun, Screenplay by Wes Anderson, story by Wes Anderson and and Roman Coppola and Hugo Guinness and Jonathan Schwartzman, produced for Searchlight Pictures. King Richard, uh, written by Zach Bayline, produced for Warner Brothers Pictures. And Licorice Pizza, written by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, produced by United Artists. The adapted screenplay, uh, Coda, uh, adapted screenplay Coda, uh, written by Samin Hader, based on the original motion picture La Family Bel Air, directed by Eric Legretu, uh, written by Victoria Budos, 
Stellius, Cardi, Demelbig, uh, Eric Litgrau, and Thomas Biggin, and it was produced for Apple. Dune, screenplay by John Space and Dennis Vanville and Eric Roth, based on the novel Dune, written by Frank Herbert, produced for Warner Brothers Pictures. Nightmare Alley, screenplay by Guillermo del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, and Kim Morgan, based on the novel by William Lindsay Grisham, produced for Searchlight Pictures. Tick, Tick, Boom, screenplay by Stephen Levinson, based on the play by Jonathan Larson, uh, produced for Netflix. West Side Story, screenplay by Tony Kushner, based on the stage play book, uh, stage play and book by author, uh, author Lunaris, music by Leonard Bernstein, lyrics by Stephen Soderheim, play conceived, directed, and choreographed by Jerome Robbins, 20th century, produced for 20th Century Studios. So those are the, uh, the Screenwriters Guild nominations. Um, or that's the, uh, the, the uh, Writers Guild notification. Uh, those are the Writers Guild nominations. The Screen Actors Guild nominations, Best Picture, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, House of Gucci, and King Richard. Best Original, uh, Best Actress, Outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading role, Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, by the way, Lady, uh, Lady Gaga, House of Gucci, Jennifer Hudson, Respect, which, respect to that awards team, they actually got her out there and, and got her nominated for a film that came out in August. Um, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos. Uh, best Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Leading Role. Again, this is the Screen Actors Guild. Javier Bordem for Bringing the Ricardos. Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of Dog. Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. Will Smith for King Richard. And Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, outstanding Performance uh, by a Female Actor in a uh, Supporting Role. Uh, our... Um, uh, Katarina Belleref, Belfast, Kate Blanchett, Nightmare Alley, Ariana Du Bois, West Side Story, Kirsten Dunst, Power of Dog, Ruth Nega, Passing. Um, outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role, Ben Affleck for The Tender Bar, Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza, Troy uh, Kush, uh, Kushner for Coda, Jared Leto for House of Gucci, and Cody Smart McPhee for Power of Dog. Um, so that would be your, your, best, uh, your best picture nominees. And then the Producers Guild. So that's the Producers Guild. So that's the, the Screen Actors Guild. And then the BAFTAs, the BAFTA nominations uh, for best film, you have uh, Belfast, Don't Look Up, Dune, Licorice Pizza, Power of Dog for, um, for Outstanding, uh, Outstanding Director for Achievement in Directing. You have After Love, uh, Aliam uh, Khan, Drive My Car, I'm not even going to pronounce that name, Happening. Uh, and Andrew Dawn, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson, Power of Dog, Jane Compton, uh, and Titan, Julia Dacoon. And then Best uh, Leading Act, uh, let's see, Original Screenplay, um, Being the Ricardos, Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, and Licorice Pizza. And then Adapted Screenplay, Adapted spring screenplay is Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, Lost Daughter, and The Power of Dog. Um, leading actor, or leading actress, I should say, uh, Lady Gaga, um, Kelia Ham, uh, Emilia Jones for Coda, Amelia Ham for Licorice Pizza, uh, uh, Renit Razev for Worst Person in the World, 
Joanna Scalian for After Love, Tessa Thompson for Passing, Best, and then Leading Actor, um, Adil Ekatar, Mashiana Ali, Benedict Cumberbatch, Leonardo DiCaprio, Stephen Grisham, and Will Smith. So that's like you hear some common names there. Um, you hear a lot of licorice pizza. You hear a lot of West Side Story. You hear a lot of Power of Dog. Um, I would not be surprised if those end up being being locks. the The big surprises that I'm looking for are smaller movies like um, smaller movies like uh, the the um, uh, the Green Knight. Um, smaller movies like that they end up getting nominated that's that's what i'm looking for so, or hoping for anyway yeah i was i'm trying to i was trying to listen to themes and names and repeating things uh and again recency bias i was uh specifically looking for uh denzel yeah well Macbeth. period because that they made that to be asked they made it to be Oscar bait. So to not hear it so much being mentioned in the uh, the best picture category so much, uh, I think, I know I heard you say Denzel at least once. Uh, was it on there a couple times or just like once? One, once. Uh, and no Francis McDormand? Nope. Okay. That, that is interesting to me. Olivia I Col- but Olivia Coleman for the lost, the, the lost daughter, which, uh, I did not know also that Maggie Gyllenhaal wrote that as well. See, I I heard that. I didn't know that was out. I knew that she had done it. I knew she directed something, and I thought I knew she was writing it too. I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know it was already out. Uh, I'll probably check that out. But I'm a little surprised to hear Licorice Pizza so much, only because the reception I've seen to that has been very split on whether people like it or not. Uh, the consensus I've seen online has been that Bradley Cooper has been, was, was great in the movie, the movie itself uh, and the content of the story. A lot of people have very different views on. That's, that's basically what happened with PGA's last movie inherent or uh, one of his last movies inherent vice where everybody was on the Joaquin Phoenix is awesome train. But this movie, eh, take relief. Yeah, so to hear it, so it's, I didn't it's expect- a much more, it's a much more accessible film than say The Master or There Will Be Blood. It's a true coming of age movie done in the traditional coming of age style, but the female leading the male, which you know. So I, I don't know. It's. It's interesting to me. I just think it's the most accessible of BTA's films. I'm not surprised it's getting mainstream run. I'm not surprised he's getting a lot of love on the circuit. And this could end up being a a Del Toro situation where they're like, yeah, look, you've been around for a long time. You finally made a movie we could all get behind. You know, maybe this is your turn. I would not be surprised at all if that's the way things go on Tuesday. Yeah, that's where I I was going with that. Because I because I haven't thought about it, but I know that at the end of the day, it is something that the Oscars would probably like. I shouldn't be surprised that I've heard it so much and I won't be surprised after hearing the list. I won't be surprised if it makes the nominations and has a, a good run on a nom- on nominations on Tuesday. But it was... Before we read that list, it was the furthest thing from my, my mind, just because of what I said previously. So that one, now I want to be keeping an eye out for that. I'll be keeping an eye out for the Macbeth situation. And everything else is, you know, if it had whatever happens, happens. I don't honestly, I don't really care because I don't I don't really know these movies. I know that they're they're normally indian small and stuff but normally i would at least know them and want to see some of them right now i don't really know many of them and i and if i don't know many of them that means the people that they're depending on to watch the oscars aren't gonna know jack absolutely nothing so 
hearing all those things, hearing everything you put outside of those two things, outside of those two licorice pizza and Macbeth. Now what I'm looking for is, are you going to give, are you going to throw things out there to entice people to watch the Oscars? I know that's not supposed to be the point of it. Well, some people don't think it's supposed to be the point of it, but are they going to do it? Because if they go out with this list of things that you just read, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care. Well, the Oscar CEO, the president of the Academy, and the uh, the head of the awards branch, or the, the, the body that oversees the awards, right, uh, came out with a statement saying that they had their highest voting percentage of active members ever. Like maybe not, maybe not ever, ever, like in the last 15 years, the highest percentage of vote turnout, like a lot of people in the Academy actually actively voted this year. Um, if you look at that list, um, don't look up, for example, is a Netflix movie. Um, Coda is an Apple movie. Um, Power of Dog is a Netflix movie. Being the Ricardos is an Amazon movie. Like, they they can sit down on their couch at any time and watch that those they don't have to have a screener for those um you know so that might have been more of an appeal for people to vote i don't see a film where everybody's rallying behind it going we have to champion this and that's why we're going to turn out in huge numbers um but we'll see i'm really interested in being in the ricardos because like sorkin's last couple of efforts have not been great right i mean um uh, as much as people love Steve Jobs, it didn't go anywhere, <laughs> you know, and to see him coming back with these last two efforts in the trial of Chicago 7 and then being the Ricardos, it seems the Academy is digging what he's doing, so it wouldn't surprise me if he's, if it ends up being nominated a bunch on Tuesday because it has that Manchester by the Sea vibe to me where it's like, yeah, it's an Amazon movie, but in reality, it could have been released by any studio. Um, so that's that's something I'm looking for. How many streamers versus regular studios get nominated on Tuesday? And uh, the other thing I'm looking for is, judging by this list, it looks like Kristen Stewart is going to get shut out completely. And that's going to be a huge surprise. Not not that it's not unusual for somebody who's got an Oscar buzz in in, in October or November to die out by the time voting actually comes around. But you heard so much. And that that movie was so heavily promoted in the fall um, that the fact that it's completely left the consciousness. I stated when I was running through the list, uh, the fact that um, that the Aretha Franklin movie got nominated um, when when she that movie died on the line back in August when it was released. That takes a hell of a marketing department and a hell of awards push for Jennifer Hudson. Uh, I'm, I can't, where is that push for Diana? Like, like did the, did they just not hire the right staff to do an awards play? Like, what's going on there? Because like she's going to get shut out on Tuesday, and I think that that's going to be a major disappointment for her and for her career. But like, she's got to be one of these folks who at this point is just going, "What do I have to do, man? What do I have to do?" Do I have to become Batman, like my cohort, my co-star in Twilight? Like, what do I have to do to get your approval? That was, like, really kind of weird for me because a lot of the people I follow are really championing her, championing her for uh, for the Oscar for more recognition. And I kind of see through their chatter that they don't think she is getting the recognition. But for me, uh, things that I consume, she's, like, all I hear about is her from all that i understand that people really think highly of her performance a lot of people think that she's going to be snubbed and a lot of people think that those people that think she's going to be snubbed think it is incredibly wrong and that she actually not only deserves to be nominated but win most of these awards so it's it's kind of weird to me because i don't i'm not going out of my way to find out about it it's, this is just the stuff that i see I'm glad you brought it up because I hadn't thought about it. Uh, I see it so much, I just kind of forgot. So that I'll be looking for that too. I do think that will be that will go a long way for Kirsten for Kirsten Stewart. Uh, 
At this because, point, it would be it would be a heck of a surprise at this point when all the branches have left you out. Like when none when none of the branches have recognized your performance, it's going to be really hard for me to see a pathway for the end of it for for her to get enough votes to push into that to break that category. Now, there's always one surprise nomination every year in the acting categories. One person where you just scratch your head and go, "Oh, how did that happen?" So it could be end up that that's her, but increasingly more and more uh, at least before we start actually handing out awards this could be the lady gaga remake uh or apology tour where they're like we're sorry we didn't recognize you for a star is born here's the award for your over the top performance in house of Gucci." yeah that's another one because i've heard that exact sentiment but house of gucci came out a while ago that i forgot about that Yeah. yeah And she, but she is a staple in all of the branches. So she's going to get nominated. The question is if she's going to win. Yeah. And that, that'll be a, a intriguing question all the way up, I think, till ceremony night. Unless like she just runs away with all the guilds, which is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. But like, you're right, Chad, in that there are going to be, I'd say about three fourths of your best picture nominees, excluding Dune, which I assume will be nominated. Um, that the general public has not seen. So, you know, it's going to be going to be an interesting deal there. Yeah. Wait. So on that note, uh, our friend, Nathan Velasquez, uh, he had a tweet that kind of sums that all up. He's his tweet is if it wouldn't fly at an average movie night in America, it has no business being nominated for best picture. Uh, I said that was a, a very spicy take, but that, Nathan's really been championing that and what we've just discussed will fly in the face of that. Uh, Dune probably being the only exception I will see. The thing, the thing is though, you've got to understand first you've got to accept the premise of, of the industry voting on itself. And then you have to accept the premise of there is no such thing as best in art, because what is best to me is 110% different from what is best to you than what is best to Grandma Pearl at the old folks' home. Like, you know, and that's completely different from what is best to your 13-year-old daughter. Like, we all have different opinions of what is best. And so, like, if you're just looking at the Oscars as a consumer reports steal a sample of approval for what is moderately like the the mainstream that's not what it's going to be because it's a body made up of elite film people judging elite films based on their personal taste for what elite best films are and that taste has changed dramatically in the last 25 years to go from being Things that people relatively know, like, you know, Dances with Wolves, uh, to stuff like Licorice Pizza, which I don't think ever had a, expand- a theater count of more than a thousand. So, I mean, like, you have to understand who the voting body is and what the voting body, like, what their idea of best is. And you can't get around that. And the, the Academy tried to get around it by de-aging the criteria, the the number of people who are voting, right? If we change the demographics of who's voting, we're going to be more likely to get Black Panther. Well, that's true, but it's a lot of those same younger folks have this same eclectic taste for what is best. So that's not going to change what is getting nominated. The rules and the wacky-dacky, you know, way that you do the, the the elimination ballot and the way that you choose best picture also doesn't lend itself to a lot of popular things getting nominated so there's a lot of blame to go around but like i don't think you can just say well if it's not made for middle america it shouldn't be nominated i don't think you can say that and i don't think that you can go down that road because ultimately at the end of the day it's not mainstream america who's voting on this stuff you know it's like the old the old days with the uh, ESPN coaches poll, the USA Today coaches poll, right? Coaches weren't voting in that. 
they were giving that over to their SID because they were busy coaching football games. But it was the coaches poll. And when a coach's ballot got revealed, um, the coach was the one who had a answer for it, even though he probably wasn't the one who, who, who filled it out. And so it, it's, for me, you've just got to remember who is voting, what their age group is, what their demographic is, and what they consider best. And all I can say is, what I think is best is different from what they think is best. And that's what makes art, and that's what makes America great. We all get to disagree over what is art, or what is great art. That's a very well said point. Bad Grandpa, Jackass Bad Grandpa did get nominated for an Oscar, as did Suicide Squad, so. No, 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 no. Suicide Squad won an Oscar. And Jackass was nominated for Bad Grandpa. All right, Chad, that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at the CW Tiger Fan. And I'm at the Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And all hail Mark Sanchez and Kyle Trask, who is the future of our great and high and holy Sanchez hopes. I'm not doing this with you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening.